welcome to episode 23 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we explore the worlds of sustainability and well-being in real estate and hospitality today. I'm your host, Matt Aspiotis-Morley, and this episode is a little different as I'm giving you the audio recording of a webinar I took part in recently around the future of workplace well-being. Joining me on the panel were Tilly Berry from the Yoga Agency, Renee Elliott, ex-Planet Organic, now of Beluga Bean, Lee Chapman of Yinshi Meditation, and Tanya Jamnudu of Thanks Ben Employee Benefits. Webinars can be hit and miss, but this particular group made a collective effort to do the legwork up front, so the debate has a certain structure to it. I generally find what one loses in a modicum of spontaneity, one gains in insight and practical takeaways. So it's a compromise, but I think it's worth 45 minutes or so of your time. I pitch in on the role of planned physical activity, as well as what's known as incidental movement and active design around the workplace. Of course, my hot topic of biophilic design makes an appearance, as does my new bugbear of indoor air quality. I also squeeze in a piece on health and well-being certification systems for those of you out there who may need a little help in convincing a skeptical CFO to do some of this stuff. Lee covers mental health at work during the pandemic. Renee offers the kind of out-of-the-box view from 10,000 feet that really only comes from having built and sold a giant company like Planet Organic before then moving into the well-being space, as she did. She's an inspiring voice of calm and reason, so there's lots of great content here. We start with a visualization exercise led by Renee herself, so if you'd rather get straight into the juicy stuff, skip ahead to around 5 minutes 20. Nada mas, you can find me, as always, at mattmorley.net. Links to the other panelists are in the show note. Hit subscribe if you enjoy my content. And now let's talk workplace well-being. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's webinar on the future of workplace well-being, hosted by the Yoga Agency and co-hosted by Yinchi. I'm Tilly, founder of the Yoga Agency. We are suppliers of well-being experts and holistic well-being programs to businesses and individuals. The purpose of this webinar is after speaking to many of our clients in HR and office management roles, I realized that managing their own well-being on top of everyone else's in the workplace can be extremely challenging, especially throughout a pandemic. And as the old saying goes, you can't pour from an empty cup. So today is about offering guidance, support and actionable advice on changing the well-being culture of your business. So with that very intention in mind, we are going to kick off today's session with a guided visualization from holistic health coach and founder of Planet Organic, Renee Elliott, to bring us into a calm, focused and relaxed state of mind. Over to you, Renee. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So happy to be here today. So as Tilly said, this is about, it's very simple, just a couple of minutes, relaxing, letting go and coming present. And it's also about awareness. So I'm gonna ask you to get comfortable in your chair. If you can, feet on the floor, go ahead and close your eyes. And we'll start with an exhale. Then take a deep breath in and let it go. Do that again, deep breath in and let it go. And then continue to breathe in a way that is very easy and natural for you. As you do that, you can imagine that as you are breathing in, you're receiving into you that which would restore you. 
And as you exhale, you can imagine that you're letting go of whatever is no longer needed. And that can include letting go of the morning, any busyness in getting ready to be here, letting go of your to-do list for the day, or whatever might be a distraction, knowing that anything important you can pick up later if you need to. And that includes coming into the cooperation with your environment just now. So you don't need to be overly concerned or distracted by any noises or interruptions as you come into an easier, more relaxed state by simply breathing in and letting go, giving yourself this time to be relaxing and becoming more fully present with you. And so notice how you are doing. Are you feeling relaxed, tired, excited, distracted, peaceful? It's okay, whatever you are experiencing, just notice it as your awareness and keep breathing, receiving into you that which restores you, sustains you, and letting go of whatever is no longer needed. So go ahead and take another deep breath in, let it go, feeling the energy from the oxygen. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes, fully awake, present, and ready for the panel discussion. Thank you so much, Renee. That was amazing. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as I did. So now on to introductions and icebreakers. First up, I'd like to introduce and thank Tanya from Thanks Ben, our sponsors of this event. Tanya is very kindly helping us today behind the scenes. We might be having a few issues with polls, but we'll just slide past that one. Um, Tanya, over to you. Hi everyone, um, my name is Tanya. Um, I work at Ben uh, in business operations and we're essentially an all-in-one platform and um, personalizing benefits and rewards and uh, letting employees choose the best wellbeing journey for them. Amazing, thank you, Tanya. And a quick icebreaker to help our audience get to know you better. What is your favorite book? Um, yes, yeah, so I prepared today for this question. I have my book here, um, it's called A Mindful Year. And um, it is two psychologist friends who every day of the year, they've written each other um, snippets, um, mindfulness snippets and exercises and practices. So each day there's a different quote, um, snippet and action to do that day. Um, I really love it, it's a great way to wind down at the end of the day, um, you know, break from the screen. And actually for our, you know, people in people, people roles, people HR roles, um, they have really good insights to share, which would be really helpful for employees and, and teams. So I think, uh, yeah, it's, that's my favorite. Amazing, thank you so much. And on to Lee Chapman, mental health advocate, founder of Yinshi Meditation Pods and co-host of today's webinar. Lee, over to you. Thank you, Tilly. Um, I think you've done a good job in intro me, so I won't, I won't delve into that anymore, but just to say, it's really great to be here. Um, thank you for everyone for joining and um, supporting mental health and well-being in your organisations. Um, really excited to hear what's going to come out of the discussion, especially super excited to hear from, from Matt and Renee. I think we can have some fantastic, actionable ideas um, to help future-proof your workplace well-being. So, yeah, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Lee. And for your icebreaker, the classic post-COVID chat, do you prefer working from home or would you rather be in the office? 
Ah, yes. Um, well, for me, working from home has been a real revelation, actually. Um, there's been so many pluses. I think that everyone's you know, found a similar um, joy to take out of it, being more productive, better work-life balance in general. I can put the washing on while I'm on a Zoom call. Um, <laughs> I'm still wearing pyjamas under the bottom half. Not really. Um, uh, but I'm really missing the office for a lot of stuff, you know, like the energy from being around other people. I really miss that. Sometimes you feel a little bit tired, I think, because you, you don't have that. The visual cues you get from, from feedback and body language of being, you know, with people. Uh, I think we're just social creatures, you know, so um, just, just that aspect is, is missing for sure. So in reality, I think it's going to be a mix, um, hopefully a couple of days um, at home, maybe three weeks in the office. Uh, three weeks not three weeks three days um, but I'm looking forward to the, the new balance of, of that thank you so much Lee next up we have Matt Morley a well-being and green space specialist and the founder of Biophilico Matt over to you okay Dilly, thanks yes my name is Matt Aspiotis Morley uh, I specialize in combining well-being and sustainability in buildings and interiors I have a particular focus on workplaces and gyms and everything in between those two increasingly connected spheres where ultimately performance and happiness are, are the name of the game. I'm a certified green and healthy building professional and a natural health and fitness expert. And I run my own podcast called the Green and Healthy Places podcast. So that gives you an idea of what I'm about. Thanks, Matt. And uh, obviously your icebreaker has to be um, please, can you show us your enviable office space? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to describe my enviable office space because there's only so far my my iMac will go. But you can see, first of all, I have I have a, a biophilic artwork, so a nature inspired artwork that represents for me kind of a connection to nature. I am standing. I'm using a standing desk. I have a, a high stool behind me that I rest on when I need to, so I don't actually ever sit down at a, at a sort of 90 degree angle with my legs. I also have a, a standing mat that replicates the feeling, uh, so the marketing uh, spiel says, of walking uh, in a forest because there's all kinds of sort of different levels and feelings to it. So I'm actively engaged with creating a healthy home office environment for the days that I spend working out of the home. Oh, I love that. Um, last but not least, welcoming the founder of Planet Organic and holistic wellbeing consultant, Renee Elliott. Renee, over to you. Hi, so my brief little history. I founded Planet in 1995, which seems a long time ago. It was the first organic supermarket in the UK. I stepped out of that business a year ago because in 2017, I'd set up with my business partner, Sam, a second well-being business called Beluga Bean. Beluga Bean is a well-being agency, pioneering new strategies for success in business and life. And we work in two main areas. One, I mentor startups, primarily on business and strategic planning, plus resilience. And secondly, we work with individuals and teams to help them understand their well-being and empower them to make it better. Thank you, Renee. And um, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? So <laughs> I've been practice, practicing transcendental meditation for 30 years. And Maharishi, who is the founder of TM, used to, I never met him, but I had the joy of watching him on these really badly filmed videos of him in India, talking about all kinds of things and different subjects. And he was this little old Indian man with this lovely melodic voice. 
And he used to talk about, he'd say, so when you are tired or when you are stressed and you stay up and you want that extra glass of wine or you're going to watch another movie, he said, don't do that. I can't do an Indian accent, but he was so adorable. And he would say, go to bed, just go to bed. He said, when you are tired, go to bed. And I thought, God, that's so obvious. And so, you know, we all know that, but who does that? So I certainly do that now. I wish I'd done that more when my kids were babies because I was so exhausted and I didn't hear that loudly enough. So I will pass that forward and say, go to bed. <laughs> That's amazing, best advice ever. And um, thank you everyone. On to our first topic, the impact of COVID-19 on workplace wellbeing. We would have a poll here, but we're still having a few struggles with the polls. So don't worry about that too much. We're going to move on to the questions. And if we can sort out the polls, we will come back to them. So, Matt, let's start with you. For those of us working in the wellbeing space, we've seen that COVID-19 has brought wellbeing into the spotlight for many businesses. It would be great to hear your thoughts on why this has been the case and if you think it's justified. Yeah, so from my perspective, at least, um, and this is very much the world I inhabit and have inhabited for, for a number of years now, uh, COVID has, has really accelerated processes that were already underway. So it was admittedly a rather patchy, but undeniable quiet revolution going on towards generally creating healthier and greener workspaces that respect what's known as the triple bottom line. So people, planet and profit. In the broadest of terms, you had the US, Australia, Canada and Singapore, and to some extent, the UK, who were kind of leading the fields in that. Um, it started as a niche and was slowly becoming more and more mainstream. Really, what's happened is we just leapt forward by several years. So in a way, it was kind of uh, leapfrogging a process that might have taken a decade. And we've just moved forward to the point now that we're able to have conversations around indoor environmental quality, IEQ. Uh, as a really fundamental part of creating a, a healthy workplace, whereas before no one was really thinking about that. We've, for those of us engaged in this field, you know, it's a subject that we've been studying. We've had to brush up on all the data behind it. I did an exam on it last night, in fact, and it's really, you know, it's a hot topic and has been for a while. So now the idea of monitoring your air, uh, checking the ventilation rates in your air, air, all of this is now really becoming much more mainstream. And I think people have, have generally come to appreciate it in a way that, that perhaps uh, we couldn't have hoped for before. So um, just to sort of close on that one, three things to think about. Uh, when I go in, I'm thinking, I'm working on a project to improve the air. I, I'm looking at the ventilation rates. So uh, what's happening in your aircon system or are you able to open windows to create natural ventilation? What materials have been used in the construction and what materials are used in the in the interiors? So from the paints to the fabrics and even how many plants you have in the space. And then the third piece is the facilities management. So how is the space managed and maintained? Are there eco-friendly cleaning practices, for example? There are lots of things happening in facilities management as well. So those would be the three takeaways on IEQ. Thank you so much, Matt. And Lee, you probably have a slightly different perspective with your sort of mental health background. Could you sort of answer the question, um, same question? Yeah, I think, I mean, we've all seen the effects of the pandemic, right, from a mental health point of view, firsthand, um, a couple of tragic stories, you know, personally that I, that I could tell. 
unfortunately you know we've all been under immense pressure um mental health has suffered unilaterally right but but even before that i think you know it was heading in the sort of wrong direction generally it's something that i've been talking about for a long time it's something that a lot of people have been talking about for a long time there was a famous study in 2018 by YouGov, which said that 74 percent of people were overwhelmed or unable to cope and that was before all this happened so I think there's been a general upward trajectory in terms of the awareness and um, you know, task that we that we have to do um, to deal with uh, poor mental health, and that's also coincided with um, you know increases in, in stress and burnout since the age of austerity started back in 2010. Um, so th I won't reel off more statistics, but there's plenty that, that don't make for for good reasons, that for good reading. And the pandemic's accelerated this really, you know, and there's, there's reasons that we all we all know, I think, you know, the new ways of working for a lot of people in particular have led to um, extra screen time. So we're spending a lot more time on our laptops. Um, we're, we're checking our emails a little bit more because we don't have that validation and feedback mechanism that we normally have um, when we're with our colleagues. I think people feel a little bit more anxious about that, that stuff. Um, you know, for others, for key workers, it's a, a highly stressful situation for altogether different reasons. And we're seeing burnout uh, rates go up um, as a result, you know. And I think plus just a general anxiety about the unknown, you know, this is something that we're going through for the first time, all of us. So um, there's a lot of uncertainty, which, which causes anxiety in its own right, I think. Um, and yeah, I think it's brought it into the spotlight for, for those reasons. It's meant that caring for mental well-being at work has become even more key now, of course. You know, stats are showing it. Mental health has is, is suffered unilaterally, you know, as I said. Stress was already rising pre-pandemic, but I think now it's becoming an epidemic in its, in its own right, really. So it needs to carry on in the spotlight um, and we need to keep carry on um, looking at solutions for how to, how to improve it. Thank you, Lee. Um... And Rene, what do you think are some of the longer lasting impacts of COVID-19 in terms of the way we work? Well, following on what Lee said, you know, I've, I did a panel recently with NatWest on wellbeing, and I was really shocked to hear that one in five Brits describe themselves as highly stressed, highly anxious, not a little anxious or worried sometimes, but highly anxious, which was really shocking. And that really brings it home. And I'm sure y'all have all heard on the news this week, they're saying one in three say that lockdown has negatively affected their well-being. And so the good news for me in that is that well-being, people have an awareness about it now. Whereas for so long, you know, you kind of left your best self at home and walked into the office door for many of us, not all of us. So in terms of the longer lasting impacts, I think well-being has come into focus and it needs attention at work. And even businesses that have thrived economically through lockdown are struggling with teams that are fatigued by the unique pressures from the last year. But as I said, the good news is that people have become more aware. I'm hearing many people have realized they'd like a better balance. You know, they see they could have a better balance between their professional and personal lives. And that this might be possible even as they head back into the office. And I think it's interesting how our personal and professional lives have collided with COVID. How many cats have I seen walking across people's screens when they're on Zoom calls, walking and you know across the desk, or kids popping into mom's new office saying, you know, asking for a snack. So with that understanding, we have an opportunity, I think, to be more flexible going forward to create a little more time, and with that to work on our well-being by having awareness and intention. 
When I opened Planet Organic, my focus was on physical well-being because I see that as foundational to all other well-being. But now I, at, for years, you know, for the decades at Planet, and more recently, very, very recently, very, very strongly focused on well-being across all of the spheres. And well-being is so critically important because your well-being affects everyone you know and everything that you do. Amazing. Thank you, Renee. Um, great to hear all of your thoughts on that. And we did have another poll question coming up now. So what I'm going to ask you to do, because we do really want to hear from you in the audience, is pop in the comments um, in the chat box what you would like in an ideal world in terms of how often you'd like to work from home. So maybe never, maybe it's one day a week, maybe it's two days a week, three days a week, four days a week, all the time. Um, let us know. We'd love to hear from you if that's okay. Just pop them in the um, chat box and keep the questions coming in, pop them in the Q&A feature and we'll get to them at the Q&A at the end. So on to topic two. Thank you everybody for your um, comments. And we're gonna look at what the current trends in workplace wellbeing are. So Tanya, I'd love to hear from you about what insights you have gained from your clients in HR roles at Thanks Ben. Yeah, no, it's a really good question, Tilly. Um, so we at Thanks Men work with a lot of our audiences, obviously uh, people, people. And uh, what I would say is that, you know, as uh, Renee mentioned, wellbeing is becoming a priority. And I think it will stay a priority post pandemic as well. Um, employees are also leaning on the workplace more and more as the lines between personal life and their work life are blurring so uh, the workplace is seen as a safe space and they're going to line managers and their people teams for support and advice um, which I think can be quite quite daunting for um, you know especially with all the upheaval over the past 12 months um, and I just wanted to say that you know that that's uh, perfectly understandable and, and you're not alone in, in, in that and um, feeling overwhelmed. Um, and the, the wellbeing space is, is obviously uh, very diverse and um, there's a lot out there and a lot of resources um, for you. So um, there is support out there for, for people, people as well when starting out on this. I always call it a journey. Um, it's very much, um, you know, starting at the beginning and, and building building the foundations and building the blocks on top to get a well-being structure that's going to work for, for your company. Uh, and there is something out there for all, all sizes, stages and budgets. Um, so, for example, with um, we work with a lot of remote companies and um, as startups, um, it's a lot of it's about linking your, your company culture and values, um, checking in with your people. There's a lot of things you can do to establish um, a good uh, a good uh, culture for health and well-being um you know people started really getting creative with it as well thinking outside of the box with sort of kindle clubs and lunch lotteries um doing things that people love as well giving back that's a really good one as well um looking at the fundamentals of people's social well-being mental financial and physical well-being being addressed um 
and then other things like rewards and recognition. Um, I mean, there's so many cases I can think of where small tokens that are thoughtful and personalized have made such a difference. Um, a friend of mine recently received a, a snack box through the post and that was just really lovely as, as a token from the employers uh, thinking of them. And at the up, upper end of the scale, looking at sort of the bigger companies when they have uh, more resources and time to, to invest, um, really capitalizing on uh, technology, data-driven decision-making uh, and those flexible and personalized strategies because you know not everyone's the same, uh, life happens, things change and it's taking those things into consideration. And then finally, um, looking at the communication and, and engagement piece as well. So, you know, once you've established all of these uh, various different um, well-being initiatives, making sure that people have the opportunity to actually use them and they are delivering the value that um, people want. So, so, so yeah, there's, there's a lot out there. I could talk for a long time about it, but, um, but yeah, it's a, a really interesting space and um, there's lots of uh, resources out there um, for you. Thank you so much, Tanya. And Lee, after a year or so of working from home and with the dust settling, have you identified any common responses amongst workers in respect of going back to the office? Yeah, definitely. It was interesting to see some of the um, answers in the chat come up there. I think one of the key, one of the big themes is flexible working, um, work-life balance. I think that, that term flexible is key, isn't it? It's kind of um, it, it, what work, what's work, what works for the individual, really. I think there's, a, there's obviously a big difference between someone that's working for the NHS and someone that works in a knowledge intensive company. I think we're, we're quite like, personally quite lucky to, to have the privilege of being able to work from home in the first instance. But I think that's generally the sort of category we're sort of talking about now. But just to make that distinction, I think is important. Um, you know, cl clearly there's, there's, there's different viewpoints on this, right? It suits some people, it doesn't suit others, but, and some people can't wait to get back to the office. I've heard from lots of people like that. They can often be the most vocal people, which is interesting, or the extroverts. And it's, it's, it's worthwhile just bearing that in mind sometimes, I think, if you're making decisions on this, because that can sometimes lead to a bit of a false consensus, because they're the voices that tend to be, tend to be heard and the introverted voices need to be listened to as well, I think. But the stats do show, the stats that I've seen anyway, a very big swing towards remote working and new flexible work-life balance. Um, I think there was a recent, uh, to quote another YouGov survey that said um, fewer than four in 10 people want to leave their house to go to work now. Um, and the Future Forum survey, which is a huge one of 9,000 workers, showed that 72% um, preferred a hybrid home um, office approach, 15% of those home only, and only 8% office only. So overall, I think people are seeing that remote work is a net positive, um, especially among knowledge intensive companies, of course. I think higher levels of satisfaction generally compared with just solely office based work, um, better work life balance, slightly better stress and anxiety levels in some cases, and better productivity and satisfaction. I even heard 75% of people are willing to take a 14% cut in salary to stay working remotely, which is quite astonishing, really, really overwhelmingly in favour. So I think it's really forced a fresh look for all of us. You know, there's some, there's clearly some big wins, you know, more time with the family, I think has been mentioned, um, reduced commute, which no one really is, is missing at the moment, I think. So lo lots and lots in favour of that, I think. But there is there is another side to the story, I think, which which needs to be remembered, which is something I mentioned um, at the start, which, yeah, office dynamics are 
generally positive. You know, they're, they're good spaces for creativity. Um, they've got the energy levels that, that I spoke about before. You know, I really miss that. Those, those endorphins that you get from, from being around your colleagues most of the time. Um, the, the opportunities for collaboration. Um, I think, especially for the younger generation, you know, I think they're really missing out on that seeing their colleagues behave and, and, and how to sort of learn to do their, do their jobs and, and just wanting to sort of commune with people, you know, spend their lunches with each other, be in urban centres with people their own age. So I think, you know, the office is not, not going to die for sure. We just really need to make sure there are spaces that are designed for all the things I just mentioned. So for creativity, for, for well-being, for mental well-being. Um, it was a really good article I saw um, last week by Thomas Heffelwick, who's a very famous architect in this country. Um, and he talks about seducing people back to the office, which I really liked, you know, so making them spaces that people want to seek out where you can do deep work, undisturbed, you know, quiet spaces. You can collaborate the spaces for that, the spaces for rest and mental health, for quiet areas. Um, you know, I think these are going to be the standard in the office of the future. And that's what we, we need to all be sort of trying to aim towards, really. I think the genie's out the bottle now. You know, we know we can go and work on the beach in the Bahamas if we wanted to. So we're going to have to make the office uh, a great place. You know, I think um, Matt will probably speak to that. And he already has a little bit around biophilia. But there's lots and lots that we can be looking at to, to make the office a bit of a destination. Thanks, Lee. That was super interesting. And I think it um, the sort of research that you've done aligns very much with the comments in the chat box, actually. Everyone seems to want this kind of hybrid approach of one or two days a week. Um, so um, moving on now to Rene, it would be really interesting to hear about what kind of services you're seeing your corporate clients requesting at the moment at Beluga Bean in terms of well-being. It is interesting because we're talking with HRs who just don't know what to do which is completely understandable. This is such new territory. And also well-being isn't just physical and mental. I know Tanya's mentioned a few areas, but most people think of it as physical and mental. It's anything that's impacting your happiness and success, and it includes everything in your world. So there's real complexity there. So the good thing is corporates are realizing that it isn't one size fits all. And it's funny, because a couple of months ago, I spoke to a law firm um, who were in, chats with. And I said, I was describing what we do. And I said, look, it's not about doing yoga on Friday for everyone because not everyone wants that. And she, she just, she went like this and she went, Oh God, she said, I've just started yoga on Fridays. And she said, and I don't go because I hate yoga. And I said, well, that's it. Exactly. It's about different things for different people. And what works well for one team may not work well or be relevant to another. I may need support for managing conflicting demands of work and kids, while someone else may be experiencing challenges with physical health or caring for elderly parents. So we say that well-being is a whole person process because there is complexity and because everything is completely interconnected. What's happening in your home affects what's happening at work. What's going on with your finances affects your psychological state, how you are physically, has an impact on your relationships and vice versa in every case. Also, everyone's world of well-being is individual, complex and always in flux. So what causes pressure today may be supplanted by something new tomorrow and so on. So we believe that to leverage the massive latent human capital that exists within our businesses and our business community, 
a new method of support is required. So in the first lockdown, we created a well-being workshop series that we believe solves, addresses and solves this problem. Thank you, Renee. Um, and that really aligns with the sort of experience that we've had speaking with our clients as well. Um, so Matt, given your background as a green space consultant, have you noticed any trends in terms of what different industries are doing to prepare for the kind of return of people to the workspace? So I think the innovative um, knowledge worker-based tech companies, they were already way out there in front um, they're often more cash rich and they place huge priority on, yeah, on the mental well-being of their, of their workers or more so than, than other industries. So they've had a head start on this. Where they led, I've seen others follow. Um, so more generally, there's now sort of second generation of slightly smaller but, but still you know, high growth businesses that also understand to attract and retain top talent, you now need to play that game. Um, in a, in a compet competitive market where it's all about how good your, your, your employees are, what, that you're able to recruit and hold on to, having an uplifting and really positive space is, is now you know, getting you a seat at the table. There are then companies that have, um, and they're often the type that I end up working with, that have some connection by the value system, their mission statement, or their corporate social responsibility plans with nature. So um, you know, one company, Hero Organic Foods in Switzerland, they're kind of an, a natural version of Danone. They do these biophilic nature-inspired offices, one of them that I was involved in, that really reflect their, their company values on one level and are also designed to help raise productivity. I see there's questions in the chat about how you uh, you can justify this and, and what the CFOs want is, is uh, data and, and ideas about how you can measure the ROI. So the key things that I'm looking at are productivity, concentration, and happiness, and staff surveys before and after are an initial first step in terms of measuring that. Once you've uh, agreed that there's a there's a plan in place to put some capex against making some improvements, um, the current phase from that. So then these this, uh, various generations, if you like, we're in kind of generation two or three, and now suddenly it's becoming much more widespread. So it's not about whether you're in tech or whether you're in natural foods or anything else. It's really just well, what's your value system, and and who's leading your organization, and have they got the well-being message? But again, you know, there is just this tidal wave coming it's creating some confusion uh, at the same time because i think there's a lot of information out there and perhaps not um not necessarily the the understanding because of what's happened we just moved so fast over the course of, of 18 months which so it's completely understandable as renee said but you know at the same time there's there's many more opportunities out there to, to resolve and improve the situation so overall very optimistic and positive i think about the the state of the trends in the industry Thank you so much, Matt. Um, so interesting. And we're, we're sort of now moving into the really meaty part of the discussion as we go on to how businesses can stay ahead of the game. Um, and we are ready to hear from you again in the audience. So if you um, would like to, please let us know in the chat box where you think your business or the company you work for might be falling short in terms of well-being. So it's a really great question to ask yourself because once you have awareness of where you're falling short, you can kind of work backwards and create your well-being programs from there. So um, maybe it's lacking in mental health support, um, the, maybe the physical environment lets you down, um, social health support, physical health support, 
uh, coaching in diversity and inclusion, all of the above, or maybe it doesn't fall short at all. But let us know anyway, put your comments in the chat box um, and we'll sort of move on to our next topic of how businesses can stay ahead of the game. So um, Matt, let's start with you again, please. So what can businesses do to improve their physical environment or office space and why is it important? So I mentioned the idea of, uh, of indoor air quality. Um, please, 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 you know, think about that first and foremost. It, it's a big urgent lesson from, from the last uh, year or so. You might need some help to, to implement a solid plan, especially for large, larger organizations. But in the end, I think staff will, will thank you for it if you're, if you're HR or chief people officer. And, and like there's, there's never been a better time to get ahead on this. Lee mentioned the idea of biophilia, biophilic design. That's a big one for me. Um, it's been trending for five or six years now, but bubbling under. It feels like it's finally having a moment. More and more workplaces are catching on to the health benefits of of bringing the outside world in, which is effectively what, what we're trying to do. So bringing nature back into our urban built environments where it was previously just sort of left to die uh, on the peripheries of the city. But it has time and time again, studies are coming out just how positive it is on, on your mental and physical well-being. So a plant will can do amazing things in terms of air purification, for example, this is a fake one. So it's not going to do anything for me, but a real plant will, or lots of plants, around about seven or eight of certain species per person in an office. It sounds like a lot, but you can cluster them together. Uh, you know that will improve your air quality. It will. It's taking toxins out and putting healthy, lovely oxygen back into the space. So no matter how modest the space you might have, um, you know, for example, a recharge room could be a, an interesting conversion. You're seeing a lot of those out there at the moment. Some people call them quiet rooms. Um, I like the recharge. It's kind of like recharging your batteries. The idea of converting uh, an unused space, it could be a lower ground space with no windows. With a little bit of creativity, you can still use that biophilic design, bring it inside and create a space that is really geared or even hacked, if I can use that term, for, for mental recovery. Uh, it can be a space for deep thought. It can be a space for a short nap or simply just having a bit of a stretch from spending too much time sitting down. So the biophilic design thing can be applied in a number of ways um, where it's multi-sensory. So you can think about materials and colors, sounds, textures, and even scent and aromatherapy. It's not just putting plants in your office. The deeper you go into this and the principles behind it, the more it gives you back and the more impact it can have. So again, productivity, concentration, but also reducing anxiety and stress amongst employees. If you imagine you know, that feeling you get of being in a forest, being in a park, being on a beach, we're trying to create little moments of that and, and bring it into the work environment, perhaps giving it a specific space where you go to interact with that or subtly infusing it throughout the space so that you're just able to yeah, take it on almost without recognizing it or consciously uh, doing so during your day. And cumulatively, it can make a really big difference on the workspace experience. Cool, thank you so much, Matt. And Lee, what can businesses do to provide adequate mental health support and why is it important? Well, I think taking the, the why is it important to start with maybe, um, you know, the term healthy, happy workforce is, is not new. It's been around for, for quite a while, right? And I think it's, it, it's not just a moralistic thing. I mean, there is a moral element to it, I think, but it's about performance, you know. Um, it's an intuitive truth. I think we all just kind of 
yeah, accept that, that that must be right. But if you want to look at studies, to quote one again, there was one, a huge one between um, uh, Oxford University and BT that showed that happier workers are 13% more productive. And I've seen other studies as well, you know, that show around similar, like 12%, 14%. So I think they're kind of onto something. They all seem to be sort of converging at a similar sort of uh, number. So in terms of what businesses can do, I think there's a, there's a couple of areas that I would um, look at initially. I think one is kind of similar to what Matt was just saying in terms of providing space for people to, to look after themselves and, and not just a, a space for a specific kind of well-being practice. You know, it's in whatever way they see fit. You know, as Renee was saying, there's many spheres to our wellness, you know, financial, social, physical, emotional, et cetera. Um, so a space where people can can practice whatever well-being mode of, uh, of choice it is that's going to you know benefit them um you know for me as you mentioned at the start tilly you know meditation is my um passion and i do see that as a as a foundational tool you know a lot of people kind of see that similarly to, to how sort of classes fitness classes yoga etc sometimes seen as a bit of a, a short-term self-soothing tool but like those you know is a, there's a real long-term um, benefit to that because i see it as a foundation there's evidence to support this as well that it improves all the other areas of our well-being and therefore in my view it is the most important you know i talk about when i go into clients sometimes to help try and embed meditation as a practice to talk about the six whys of meditation um, and just go through those very quickly the, the first one is reduces stress um, it improves your um, amygdala response and lowers your cortisol. It can improve attention and creativity, focus, um, divergent thinking has been shown to um, improve with, with just a short amount of, of meditation, actually. And that's really good for, for problem solving, um, which is essential in our, our day and age. Um, the fact that it's a foundational well-being practice, as I just mentioned, the fact that CEOs and successful people are doing it so much now, um, is a real indicator, I think. There was a book that um, Tim Ferriss wrote called T Tools of Titans, um, and that was the most common habit that he identified between um, people at the top of their game in, in various different fields. And it's good for relationships, which is key to a, to a happy, productive um, workforce as well. And, and the last one is a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but it makes you look younger. It does actually um, produce an enzyme called telomerase, which is proven to... to to reduce aging um but you know that's obviously just um, a bit tongue-in-cheek so i think you know some a tool that can improve our well-being psychological safety collective intelligence you know really help us realize our potential um, and improve business outcomes as well um shouldn't be overlooked in, in my view but you know as as matt was kind of inferring you know we need to create space for this kind of stuff you know headspace subscriptions are awesome meditation quiet rooms are great but also you know what, what do we do for people who want a bit of private sort of quiet space, you know, people still do feel a little bit self-conscious in public kind of quiet areas. So whether it's whether they want to do meditation or, or breath work or hypnosis or just have a quick nap, um, you know, some quiet time alone. Um, I think, you know, we all need we all need a bit of that sometimes. So I think that's the that's the first area um, providing space. And also, I think important to note that it needs to be permissible as well. Um, you know, it needs to be led from the top down, it needs to be actively encouraged, not just, um, you know, here's a meditation room, here's a meditation lesson, here's a yoga class. You need to actually give people permission to take an hour out of their schedule because what's happening, I'm hearing from, from various companies, is that 
people just don't take up these brilliant offers because they just can't find the, the, the time in their diary, you know, so permissibility is a really key thing for me. Um, and the second was, I kind of touched on this briefly before, but this idea about making the office a destination, I really do feel like that's that's going to be the future and going to be vital to to stop people, um, you know, fleeing to, to remote working, really, that talent fly. We're already seeing that. I'm already hearing about um, applicants you know, demanding remote working at the moment. So we're going to have to like, up our game in terms of the office. And I think interesting to sort of think about it from a, an employer brand sort of point of view, you know, we all know how important branding is, especially for attracting the best talent. Um, increasingly, um, companies are looking to do this. So, you know, if, if we're going to do that, if we're going to bring our values to life, um, then well-being should really be embedded in that, embedded in that, and, and, a, and a crucial part of it. And that needs to come through. You know, Facebook and Google have been doing this for years in terms of company culture as perk. You know, they don't just do a meditation class; they do a summer camp. You know, they go really big on that. Although that's maybe not realistic for some people, it gives you, you know, an idea of where where we sort of should be should be heading. Because there's a huge opportunity now. You know, like I think it's been estimated around 20 to 30 percent reduction in real estate for for offices. This is what we're going to see after the pandemic. So we've got, you know, potentially an opportunity to half cost bases and redivert that into premiumizing our our office spaces, making it smaller, making it nice and sociable collaborative kind of destinations um, that are really good for our wellness um, that are more than just a you know, meditation room more than just a headspace application um, subscription um, they give private spaces you know for to look after our mental health in our own way and i think just just having things like that throughout the office like the biophilic design those little nudges design interventions really help kind of remind us or bring our back bring us back to ourselves and reconnect um, and, and really help improve our, our overall well-being. Thank you so much, Lee. So much goodness in there. And if anyone wasn't sold on meditation, they are now. Um, uh, Rene, what are some of the long-term solutions to creating a well-being culture? First, I just have to say, Lee, I completely agree with you. I've been meditating, as I said, for 30 years when it wasn't cool and we didn't ever talk about it. And now it's a badge I wear with, you know, it's a badge of honor. Hey, I've been meditating for 30 years. And for those of you who are wondering about this, I have three kids, 19, 16, and 13. They all meditate and we meditate together. And I always say the family that meditates together stays together. So that's my, my two cents on that. So back to um, office and well-being culture. Well, our point of difference at Beluga Bean is that everything we do is a whole person process. And we deliver that through programs of experiential learning. The solution that I referenced early that we created in our first lockdown is a well-being workshop series called Be Yourself. It's a new practical framework for self-awareness that promotes well-being in individuals and increases connectivity and trust within teams. We use learning from 30 years in business and transformational development, and we've curated a unique, powerful, and affirming program that enables team members to better understand their own world of well-being and then empowers them to stay on purpose amid shifting demands from work, home, and life in general. We engage people in what we call the six spheres of well-being, which are physical, occupational, psychological, economic, social, and spiritual. Be Yourself equips people to understand what's important to them and gives them the tools to maintain new ways of being and doing that promote success. 
It's about the individual being able to take responsibility for themselves. And we do that by first building a framework so they can understand their own well-being. Because a lot of people just don't even know what that is or what we're talking about. Then we establish core principles for self-awareness and faster, easier progression so they can make steps to improve their well-being. We surface key areas of focus, identifying priority and defining intention. We delve into meaning and purpose for the individual. And we lay the foundations for connectivity and trust within teams. Then we do a deep dive into each of the six spheres that I've just mentioned. And the results that we're finding, improved individual well-being, including new ways of being and doing that support long-term success. And we talk about being and doing a lot because we're, we're human beings, but we do a lot and we love the doing. But we say when you're aware of your being, which is why the course is called Be Yourself, and you take that into your doing, it's much more fulfilling, it's much more fun. <clears throat> and that's really what it's all about. We always say, if it's not fun doing it, then why do it? So it's also another result is a practical methodology for maintaining self-awareness that you can use daily or weekly and responding dynamically to shifting internal and external pressures. There are increased feelings of self-confidence and agency an ability to more easily identify priority and take action amid that multiplicity of demands on attention, time, and resources. We avoid well-being crises. Teams within the businesses are stronger and more resilient. There is greater ease, energy, and momentum. Communication improves, which means relationships improve. Inclusivity increases, and people feel supported as within the company, you build that culture of well-being and success individually and collectively. People experience more meaning and purpose in what they do. And this means, of course, better talent retention and also leadership development. So in reality, the business is better empowered to grow and succeed. Ta-da. <laughs> Thank you, Anne. That was wonderful. Um, we've had so many good questions come in, so I'm going to address a few of the questions, and if we have time at the end, I have a few more questions myself. Um, but uh, to Stefania's question, um, it'd be great to have some ideas for low-cost, low-effort initiatives relating to well-being. Um, Long-term strategies are important, but also some quick wins. So um, anyone feel inspired to take this one? This is a great question. Anyone? I have a quick, I have a quick go. Yeah. Um, I think obviously we've, we've, we've spoken about meditation, so I won't, I won't go there again. Um, but you know, Tilly, I know your your agency are doing lots of great courses um, for, to help with um, with wellbeing at the moment. So I definitely advise people to to check those out. Um, I think um, what, one big thing for me is uh, is training in psychological and, and soft skills for for now and the future. I think. Clearly, there's a lot of anxiety at the moment about people going back to work. We've kind of touched on that a little bit. So designing um, offices for and training for, you know, resilience is, is something that I think is, is super helpful and important, um, not just now, but for, for the future. I think, you know, the likelihood is that, you know, there's, there's going to be more turbulent times uh, ahead of us. So preparing us for those um, as best as possible, I think, is going to be really, really valuable. Um, and I think that's just 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 a skill that's that's good to have all around anyway. And, and skills such as problem solving and creativity, I don't think are talked about a lot a lot as well. 
um, I think they, they can really help enhance our, our, our work life um, and how good we are at our jobs. And I think they're going to be vital for, for future economies as well. So yeah, that's a couple of suggestions I would throw in. Can I go as well on that one? So just two things. Um, firstly, I think we, we often assume things. And I always say, first of all, don't assume what your people want, what your teams want, because we when we assume we're usually wrong. So go into inquiry and discover what people actually want and need. And the second thing is I completely understand about quick wins and I'm not gonna answer that, but I'm gonna say that we say that meaningful change takes time. You know, I can come in and do a half day workshop and it's all great and everyone's really excited and I walk out the door and nothing changes. So we are taking a stand that meaningful change takes time because people can embed new habits over time. So I understand your point about that. And I know people want things to move quickly, but we really think, you know, we, the course we deliver is over a year and it really enables people to change and grow over that time. Thanks. And uh, there's another amazing question from Hannah. How do you get senior, senior leadership teams to support mental health and well-being, and therefore see the value in investing it? That's a brilliant question. Does anyone feel like they're well-placed to answer this? Matt? Yeah, I can have a go at that one. Um, so I guess in a sense, it depends on the size of the organization and, and what they're looking for. But one thing that has really come to the fore over the last uh, year or so are the um, workplace well-being certification systems that are out there that give an amazing amount of structure and substance and science-backed thinking to what can be, as we mentioned, quite a sort of you know a fuzzy subject. You know, oh, how do we how do we do this? Like, what's the what's the first thing we do, or where should the priorities be? So there are those out there that focus specifically on virus responses. There are those that focus specifically on air quality. There are others that take a far wider approach that go into everything from the type of uh, food and drink on offer in the office to whether there's promotion of the stairs and, and sort of generally promoting daily regular activity to the type of uh, water and the purity of the water that's on offer or not on offer the quality of the light within the offices, the thermal comfort and physical comfort, you know, there's, there's a lot to it. And for someone, for an organization that was looking to really do it properly, I'd say going down one of those routes and if you like signing up with, with a proven path that has a beginning, middle and end, a structured process, and at the end, a third party verified qualification or certification that you can then show to your shareholders and your future and present staff gives you, I think, a real sense of confidence that you're doing everything you possibly can for your, your employees and that you've approached it in a certain way. Not every business is going to want to take that route, but it is there. And for those that, that take up the challenge, it's, it's like, yeah, you can just go to the next level with by following a path that's well trodden and well documented now. Amazing. Thank you so much, Matt. Um, there's another brilliant question here. Um, how can we encourage employees to participate in a company employee wellness program while struggling the demands of work and make them feel they are part of the culture of physical and mental well-being? Tanya, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because you come from a very dynamic startup background and you also offer these well-being services um, and you track engagement. So it'd be great to hear your thoughts. 
Yeah, um, it's a really great, great question. And it, it is it is tricky. Um, we, we do find, um, you know, people uh, stuck in their ways and they uh, when things are new, it takes time to adjust and get used to them. Um, I think what, one thing that I really um, champion is sort of the peer to peer um and um so if uh, a few people are getting together and participating in an activity um then you're more likely to um get increased engagement over time that's a really good a good thing um and then also yeah i guess like from tracking from our perspective on on data insights and and maintaining metrics and things like that really capitalize on what you're seeing people pick up on and do more of it is the natural thing to do. Um, does that kind of answer the question? I feel like I missed something. <laughs> yeah, that was amazing. Thank you. Um, I can't believe how fast the session has gone. We've literally come to the end. Um, so we, there will be lots of post-coms following this webinar. And um, would just like to say thank you so, so much to our panelists. You've been unbelievable. Um, all of them can be found on social and we'll also be sending an email so you can contact them via email if you want to find out more.